Welcome to Invincible Teams, a podcast for team leaders and business owners who are tired of dealing with office drama and politics, high turnover, and teams not meeting their potential. We know that team leaders and business owners like you are pretty much always under pressure to get the most out of your teams. And we also know that most teams only operate at about 58% of their actual potential, and we've got the tools and training to make that number keep going up. We believe that every team should reach their potential, and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Invincible Teams podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Mayfield. I'm super excited today to share with you my interview with my friend, Jason Soderstrom. Jason and I have been friends for quite a while now, and I've seen Jason go through a lot of different transitions in his life and in his leadership and his family. And so today, I'm excited to have him on because we're going to talk about what it's like to lead different teams through transition, through different ideas and missions, to start new teams whenever you have a new idea, and how you, if you're a pioneer kind of serial entrepreneur like Kim, can manage that tendency or that itch or that drive to go and start the next new thing. How do you balance that between maintaining a healthy team and that driver, that passion that you have to start something new? Jason has a lot of incredible insights about that. And so I'm excited to get straight into it today with my interview with my friend, Jason Soderstrom. All right, Jason, welcome to Invincible Teams podcast. Glad to have you here. And Ryan, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I, uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while. You and I have known each other for quite a while and know a lot about each other's stories. Uh, but for those that are listening who probably don't know uh, quite as much, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, tell us about you and your family and where you're at and what you're doing these days. Yeah, my name is Jason Soderstrom and I am 35 years old. Ryan, I'm almost over that halfway to 40. So yeah. that's nerve wracking. Uh, I got, I've been married for 13 years to my wonderful, beautiful, amazing wife, Molly. And then we have three kids, a 10 year old, a six year old and a four year old. And my four year old just broke her arm a week ago. So she's in a oh. cast right now. So two out of the three of my kids have broken a bone. So I don't know what that says about me as a parent, but I don't know what that third one's been doing. Been... No, the third one hasn't broken a bone, but he got hit from his sister with a golf club right by the eye and had six stitches like nice. uh, a couple months ago. So don't worry, they're all getting hurt. <laughs> good, good. Well, not if it makes my, you feel good it's not you. Yeah, yeah, it's not you. Um, now, if it makes you feel better, I do remember one time I uh, hit my brother next to the eye with a baseball bat. Um, and um, yeah, but you know, he's fine. He He made it. He made it. Yeah. It, it built some character for my son, Judah. Uh, character he, and calluses. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a great scar. He kind of looks like Drew Brees. You know, he has a little scar <laughs> on his eye. So I'm, I'm hoping that'll be good for him in high school someday. Yeah. Yeah. There's you a know. story there. Yeah. It'd be a good story. But so, yeah, I, uh, I am the founder of a nonprofit called the Brook and I live in Denver, Colorado. And, uh, I started the Brook in this last year in January. And what the Brook is, is it helps people really develop uh, in their relationships, in their spiritual life, and then also their workplace. And so it's just a, an organization to help develop people in those things. And it's targeted towards 18 to 35 year olds. Uh, I did 18 to 35 because I'm 35. So I wanted to, <laughs> I'm, 
I can still fit there. I don't know what I'll do next year, but right. uh, <laughs> it's targeted towards people in Denver. And so my wife and I, we moved from Boulder, Colorado, where we spent the last six years uh, to Denver in January. And before that, I worked for 13 years and I started two nonprofits, one at the University of Tulsa, where I actually met you, Ryan, yeah. and helping students develop again in their character, spiritual life and leadership. And then I moved to Boulder, Colorado six years ago and started another campus organization there and love my 13 years with that particular organization and just have so many great friends, memories, and really that 13 years shaped who I am and shaped my own leadership and got to lead a bunch of teams in that. And then uh, the last, you know, few years over that time, I've been able to start kind of that organization in Tulsa, then in Boulder, and now started a brand new organization, The Brook in Denver. So I'm excited about that. And we're excited what's been happening even amidst crazy 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy um, might be an understatement, right? (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's one of the things that I thought about as we were preparing for this interview. The One of the words that comes to mind for me when I think about you and about your story is that you have been a pioneer, right? Like uh, you describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur even, Um, but you have just been in a lot of pioneering spaces and going into places and groups of people and things that other people have have not done or are not doing yet. Um, and so being kind of on the the front lines of that, right, the driving edge, um, what what drives you to do that, to be on the front lines, to start new things? Um, yeah, why do you do that? I think for me personally, it's it's all kind of in my DNA. I, I think sometimes people want to be that, but like, it's just kind of who I am. I've always been that kind of person. And I, I'm a, I like taking risk and I like change. It's probably the Enneagram seven in me that likes different things all the time. So I'm always chasing the high and experiences. I know you know that, uh, but it's like, I'm always wanting to experience new. And then I think for me personally, as well as I see a status quo a lot of times and I want to see it changed. And uh, the organization I was a part of before I started the Brook, I was saw I was on college campuses and I worked a lot with fraternities and sororities, and that demographic was kind of neglected, and people pushed them away as they weren't going to be leaders or all they care about is partying. And yeah. I don't know, I just I just had this desire to try new things and to to say, well why would we assume that people don't want to be developed in their leadership? Why would we assume even for me, I was working in helping people look into their spiritual life, which in Greek life that, especially at CU Boulder, CU Boulder is one of the top party schools in the nation. And the Greek life is a party scene. Like you wouldn't think God and partying would go together. And so I, I just find a thrill of going, let's break the status quo. Let's not settle for what is already happening. Let's try something new. And, I, I like taking a lot of risk and honestly, I don't mind failing. And so I'm yeah. willing to try things and fail. Well, okay. So that leads into, yeah, the next question I was going to ask, if you're going to pioneer new spaces and and try things that other people aren't trying and take on that risk, like you were saying, uh, have you had a lot of doors shut in your face? Oh yeah. <laughs> Lots of doors. A lot of people laugh at you too. You're like, what are you thinking? Um, uh, yeah, I... I think that's really hard about being entrepreneurial is that you 
have to be willing to paint a picture of what it could be, not how it is. Mm. And so mo most people think like I'm redoing a house right now, Ryan. And I, I look at like what it could be, not what it is, but most people look at that house and they're like, why are you buying that house? I'm like, Oh, I, I see what it could be. Right. And so when you are facing things where you have to take a risk, you have to, you have to have the ability to go, okay, I believe that it can be like this and that we could see change in this and not just accept the status quo. Like I said, of, Oh, it's always going to be like this. So you got to be willing to, to take that step. Yeah. Well, no, that makes perfect sense to me because I am not that way. And I have been uh, with plenty of people who get some ridiculous idea for something. And I'm sitting there like, this is a terrible idea. This is never going to work. Uh, and then a lot of times it ends up working out and it's just like, there's a, there's a gift people. Some people have a gift for seeing that, seeing what could be and being able to cast a vision for that. Right. And I think most people actually, it doesn't work out the way they thought it would be. I think that's a myth. I think it's, they have the vision of what it could be. I don't necessarily think people have the strategy figured out. So even when we moved to Denver, I believed with 110% of my soul and my heart that I was supposed to be here. And that we were supposed to, my wife and I were supposed to start an organization that would impact this age group and that we could do that. And I didn't really have the full strategy figured out, but I knew enough. I was convinced myself. I think that's the biggest thing too, is the first person you have to convince is yourself. If you're not 110% sold out, willing to pursue that vision, you shouldn't go do it because you have to convince yourself mm -hmm. And that's the only way you're going to get other people on board. I think too many people try to step into like, oh, I think this is a pretty good idea. I'll go try it out. No, you have to be convinced that it's, it's almost like this depth of your soul that you know, you're supposed to do it. Like you can't wake hmm. up in the morning without thinking, if I don't do this, I'm going to miss. And so I think that also is the driving factor for me as well. Do you, when you talk about that and you get let's say you've got an idea that you are totally sold out, convinced on like what you're talking about. Is that something where you see it and you're already sold or do you have to convince yourself to get there? Which way does it normally go? I think I have to, my wife makes fun of me. I'm a really good salesman. Like I, uh -huh. I can sell things to people, but I'm really easily sold. So like if you have a great idea, I'm like, yeah, let me write you a check for a grand real quick, Brian. <laughs> so speaking I, of that, I have a really great idea I need to tell uh, you about. I'm really easily sold, which is good to know about yourself so that you don't <laughs> jump on everything. So I actually have to, I'm typically sold really quickly, but then I go process everything and reaffirm those things. So hmm. I kind of know that I want to do this and I'm a reactionary gut leader. A lot of people are more mind, like they think it all through. I just want to hmm. go act. And that's gotten me in trouble leading on, on teams because I'll just go like, if there's an issue, I'll just go act upon it right away. Sure. And like, because I just want to knock it out and get it done. And then there's sometimes I need to sit back, think process, develop my own convictions about it. And so with even starting new things, I'll, I'll want to do it, but then it's just a process of me really thinking through writing out kind of a pros and cons list, thinking through the benefits, kind of doing some analysis on it and deciding, is this, the direction I want to go. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to talking about risk and failure for a second. Cause I mean, we talked about that for you, but what role does risk and failure have whenever you're talking about not just yourself, but a whole team of people, what role does failure play? Yeah. On a team, you have to create an atmosphere where they can fail. 
Like I think, so, I think so. Well, I think so many teams just, especially as a leader and being a leader personally of teams uh, throughout on and off throughout my whole career, I have easily pitched a vision and I've done this poorly where I haven't given room to fail because I'm that like know-it-all entrepreneur and can see this vision in front of me. And I haven't allowed my team to develop because really where you develop the most is failure. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you go to the gym, you have, you, you want to work out to failure because that's going to develop you. And so mm-hmm. it's not allowing to create this atmosphere in your culture that goes, we need perfection. It's because if you want perfection, you can't start things because you and I both have started things and you know how messy it is. You know how oh, yeah. it changes all the time, especially in the world we live in with technology changes so quickly. I mean, COVID just flipped everything on everybody's plans, everybody's strategical things that they were going through. They're like, it flipped it all on its head. And yeah. so if you have this perfect plan set before you of strategy, you're not allowing your team to fail. And so I think there's really good ideas of helping your team know what lane they're running in and giving them some ability to develop in that lane and being coaching them, but not, you don't need to have every strategic idea planned out. You need to allow them to plan it out and you need to allow them to execute that plan under some guidance, but uh, knowing that there is going to be failures, like everybody has doors shut in their face. Everybody doesn't make the sale, but the only way you really learn is by doing that. And if you allow that culture to happen on your team, that's, I really believe that's where the magic happens. I mean, I have a team right now of, uh, I have two different teams that I lead right now. And, you know, we're, we're working with these young adults and we're doing this, this like online platform. And I have a guy that's actually on my team. That's a petroleum engineer and really smart, but he's never worked in the nonprofit sector. He's never done like communication before he's never spoke. And, you know, just giving him really easy opportunities to develop in those places. So we have a Instagram page that uh, we're blown away with. We went from zero followers to 2,400 followers really quickly. And we have a really great following and connection with people. And I kind of hold that platform pretty sacred because that is our main funnel of how we get people in. Mm -hmm. But instead of me having to only hold that and only be the communicator, I'm like, you know what? If I never allow Tim to get an opportunity He's never going to be on this. And then all that's going to put all that weight's going to be put on me. And I think that's what most entrepreneurs do is as the organization grows, they never delegate and all that weight sticks on their shoulders and they eventually can't operate because they haven't delegated anything or raised up any new leaders. So I think for me, it's just raising up new leaders, raising up people, giving them opportunities, realizing they're not going to be as polished as where I'm at, but I've been doing this for 13 years, they just starting and being okay with that. Right. Yeah. I think that's a big key to that too, is not waiting until somebody is, you know, at some really high level before giving them a shot, right? Like you have to let people practice at some point, you know, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, uh, I do help people in their spiritual life and it makes me think through Ryan, like so many people think about God and faith and all of that. And you know, they think like, if you're going to have an impact with your faith, you got to be like, go to seminary, be a, be like this crazy follower of God that it's kind of radical, but really like, if you look into like, like who I look into is Jesus, like 
he didn't hire the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest. He literally found this ragtag team. And instead of going, I'm perfect, I'm great, follow me. It was, I'm going to send, launch you guys out. And they were, they struggled. The, you, if you read any of the Bible where it talks about Jesus and his followers, they were struggling. They didn't know what they were doing. They weren't perfect at it, but he had so much grace because he knew that he was going to give them uh, control. And basically he was going to leave and he was going to go, Hey, you can take my teachings and you can spread it. And you don't, you don't have to have all this criteria built up. You're, you're just a normal person. I, I love, there's a verse that says they were ordinary men. They weren't mm-hmm. just these extraordinary, it was just ordinary people. And I think that's where magics of teams happen. When we, everybody's ordinary, where you become an extraordinary is when your team leader allows you to fail so that you can be extraordinary. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, speaking of, of teams that are healthy and things that leaders do, so that's one thing. Uh, but when you've been on healthy teams before, even just as a member of a team and not necessarily the leader, what are other things that leaders do right? Man, I have a, I'm on a great team right now. I'm kind of leading most of the team. And then I have a, a, a boss above me that leads me. And so I've got to watch just him work really well. And one of the things I love, he's an older, great leader, top best leader I've ever been under Hmm. is just being quick to ask for forgiveness. I mean, I think that's one of the things that is always going to happen on teams is there's going to be tension. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be frustration. And it's just being quick to ask for forgiveness because I think there's this myth that we're going to reach a pinnacle in our leadership where we're like perfect in our character, perfect in our leadership, but that is not true. And the more I've been around really good older leaders, they know their issues and their problems and their, their shadow side, their dark side. Mm-hmm. And they, they've come accustomed to what that is and they know it plays out and they ask for forgiveness. So even for me personally, I've been trying to figure out, okay, where do I, where's my shadow? Where's the things that are going to draw, push people away from me and hurt my leadership. And I need to keep an eye on my own leadership in that because that can really damage a team. If I don't know my shadow and I'm not the first one, because leaders always go first, you know, Hmm. so being the first to ask for forgiveness, the first to set up expectations. So I think that's been probably one of the biggest just growth areas and learning areas for me personally, because I'm still a young leader as well. I mean, I'm in my mid thirties. I've led teams, but I, I just think there's this pressure. The more leadership you get on you, you feel like you have to be the expert and you have to have it all together, but yeah. literally no one's got it all together. And so just knowing where you don't have it all together and filling those gaps, even with your team members and letting them know how they can help you in that. Yeah. You know, one thing that strikes me as I think about the different teams that you've been a part of, the different things that you have started, have you ever started something by yourself? Because it seems like you always start with a team already ready to go. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's, I have a secret weapon, Ryan. (laughs) Okay. And it's my wife. So my wife and I have always started things together. And that's been where I've been most successful because, and she's been on my team. And then I've had multiple people with me, but when I was in Tulsa, uh, it was her and I, and then a, a, like a volunteer basis team and then Boulder had a team of six. And then here I've had a, a team of three plus I've grown a really big volunteer team. And then I'm also on another team of about eight people. And so 
Yeah, there, there's always been this team element. And I've always, the older I get, I realize even in the team with the Brook right now, I am not our operational guy. Like I can do that, but it, I'm not good at it. And having other people that really help me out and can like, I can lead in my strengths and my unique ability and allow my team to lead in their strengths and their unique ability. I think teams really struggle when everyone's the exact same person. So yeah. that's even for me, I've had with Molly help like being a co-leader in all these things with me and being on my team. We are opposite personalities. Everybody always, everybody always wants to marry the person that's exactly like them. <laughs> I marry the person exactly unlike me. Like yeah. we're totally different, but we work so great together. So I've even seen that team dynamic of having different unique abilities and skill sets. And I really think that's like in your 30s hopefully you can, we can all figure out what our unique ability is and what our skill set is. That's what I love with your training, even with Enneagram and the development of who you are as a person, because I think so many people just, you kind of start getting into a position or in a job where you get stuck and kind of pigeonholed in this. Mm-hmm. And you actually don't know what you're good at and life's too short not to do what you're not good at. <laughs> and so sometimes we got to do things we're not good at. I mean, I would say 80% of my job I'm good at and I love 20% I'm not good at and I don't like it, but I have to do it. But that's what I think where people need to get. And that's how, even as you launch things, you need to be looking for people that can come alongside of you. I, I, I do think it's funny. We always uplift the entrepreneur. Like we uplift the Steve jobs. We lift up the Zuckerbergs, but we never talk about who is running beside them. There's always this one figurehead. And I think that's just kind of garbage. There's never just one person. Every the more you dig into those stories, even I'm in church world. Some the the fast the biggest church in the nation, the past the lead pastor was not the one that grew that church. It was the executive pastor that nobody knows his name, but he's the one that scaled and made it big. And like the lead pastor gets all kind of the glory, or the CEO right. gets the glory, but it's the team. And I think good teams also acknowledge that. Hey, if I'm the leader, I'm the founder, it I can't do this without you guys being with me. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And you know, as you talk about that having different people, different skill sets, different wirings, all that. One of the things with you, you know, you're I think you are an idea guy, right? You you have these different ideas and thoughts and schemes and and whatever mm-hmm. else, right? And so being that guy, having lots of great ideas, how do you do that, but not leave your team behind? Yeah, uh, you're right, Ryan. My my 34 strengths, my number one is strategic. My number two is ideation. So that's okay. a danger. It's a good combination, dangerous combination, by the yeah, way. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm like a dog chasing a rabbit sometimes. I like just <laughs> running around to the next thing. They go in the hole and then I'm going to the next one. And I, especially as a young leader, uh, the last over years, I would, I would have a, I can see with my strategy brain, what needs to be accomplished. And then I'd have the idea how to overcome it and it would work. And I was kind of wired that way. But the problem is you, if you don't get some sort of rhythm and entrepreneurs are known for this is that they will, they have all these ideas and they kind of come up with this new system or this new product that's going to reach the world. And you, you start getting in that in that and you just never get out of it and you start chasing more ideas, more ideas, more ideas. And your team probably isn't like you. 
And your team shouldn't be like you. You need a, your team wants some like consistency and where are we headed and how are we going to do this? And if you're ever changing your ideas. So we were talking before we started this podcast, even about entrepreneurship and how everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but I'm reading this book called do scale. And the author talks about how 90% of uh, startups fail. So mm-hmm. what gets you into a startup? You need that skill, that skill set but you need to get out of it as soon as possible. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to, we think that we should stay up, stay in startup mindset our entire time when really we need to figure out what works and thinking through what's our minimal viable product, doing experiments. I think that's what entrepreneurs do really well. They test and they try things out. But the problem is once they try something out, you got to actually commit to doing that thing. And so yeah. for me, it's been really difficult especially when I was a younger leader to commit to doing that one thing over and over and over and over again, which actually would create consistency and scale something and get that flywheel going. And so I I even personally right now, I've been just challenged more and more not to chase every idea, but Mm. to find what is actually working in my organization and then get in there and think through that flywheel and how can I turn it little by little every day versus being new idea every single week because it's exhausting, it's tiring, and and it will kill any organization. The more you, yeah. the more you stay in that. I mean, entrepreneurs are known for destroying their organizations. Yeah. Do you think can entrepreneurs lead organizations in the long term, or do they have to hand it off at some point? And how do you know when it's time to hand it off? Man, I'm really wrestling with that currently. I, I. I think what got you to the point of being an entrepreneur and what got you to a certain spot is not going to get you to the next spot you need to go to. So I think it's how malleable and how you are as a person in your own leadership. And if you're willing to change. So I think it's growing in that skill set, but then allowing yourself to have opportunities to take that entrepreneurial starting mindset and kind of apply it somewhere else. Like it, you know, I told you I just bought a house. So like starting that project is actually really good for me because it takes some of that energy that I have to start Mm. and I can put it to somewhere else and not go sabotage the brook or any organization that I'm a part of because I need a outlet for my entrepreneurial heart. So I, I'm trying to navigate that. That right there. I mean, that is the, the gold nugget of this whole conversation so far. I love that. Like taking that entrepreneurial spirit, that hunger and giving yourself outlets for that outside of your main team or organization. Yes. Um, it's like a pressure release valve. That's, yep. that's so good. I love that. Yeah. And I, I think even for me, as I try to do that, then I can release that and then go kind of go, okay, how can I get this flywheel going? And for, for me, I think I can also take my entrepreneurial mind and build my team because you're all, as you build your team, you're looking for new positions, how to put people. And so I want to take that spirit and go, how can I develop and help my team? And how can I hire the positions that we need to accomplish to scale this? But I need to get the stink out of the way of the actual product being produced and scaled. Because if I'm in there and that's all my responsibility, I'm going to tinker and I'm going to mess it all up. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes total sense. That's so good. So 
you know, kind of pulling back a little bit from, from this conversation and looking back at your experience and what's going on right now in your life, you know, you just made a big transition. Uh, you've made plenty, but this one was, was pretty big because you, you moved cities, you moved houses, you moved jobs, you took three kids and a wife with you um, into all that in the middle of a crazy year. So what has that been like and what have you learned in that process? Yeah. Uh, again, like I told you, my life, I'm really willing to risk. I'm like, oh yeah, let's move cities. Let's move town. Let's move jobs. Let's do that. And I think as I've had to navigate that for me personally, my family, it's been good. It's just good to realize everyone doesn't think like you and everyone isn't that willing to risk. And so it's building trust and allowing, uh, your family and allowing your team to know that uh, they have some say in the matter. So I think for any team, like to take this to teams, you have to build like this level of trust in your team where they own it. They own the transition that you're going to make. And so my team was my family. Uh, I had two kids that were in a great school in Boulder. They loved it. They were so happy with it. And we found a new school in Denver and I actually drove them to that new school while they're still in their old school in Boulder. And they did a test day. And I mm-hmm. looked them both in the eyes and I go, Hey guys, we're eventually are moving to Denver, but I will drive you back to your Boulder school, which is a 30 minute round trip every single day for a semester. If you, if you don't want to do this new school and I go, but I just want you to try it. And I'm not saying you should do this with your kids. I'm just, this was just kind of my philosophy And so I kind of put it in their court and uh, they went to the new school and they literally loved it. And they're like, can we go tomorrow? And (laughs) I think it's giving them the ability to process it, not make the decision for them. So anytime we make a transition, we need to not make all the decisions for people. We need to bring people into that decision-making and Mm -hmm. into that transition. So I would say that was one of my big wins personally is helping my family transition well. And even as we think about where we're going to buy a house and those things, it's really easy to think what's best for our startup or for our mm-hmm. business or for our organization. But we really started going to get what's best for our lives, what's best for our mental health, what's best for our souls, what's best for our family's health. And so that, that was really good personally. And as we transitioned out and then I think Ryan, one of the hardest things for me is I was in with an organization for 13 years and again, loved it. The hardship was, it, it, it was all I knew. It was, mm-hmm. it was what I started with as a 22 year old. And I lived, I like grew up in that organization and grew up my leadership in that. And I almost thought, could I do anything else? Will I be able to do this? And uh, it was cool as I got some mentors to help me they, one of my mentors told me, you know, you kind of have a North star for your life. It's like the purpose you're trying to go towards. I think we all have, like, we want to see our careers like this. We want to see our person, like our, our character like this by the time we're in our sixties and it's our North star. It's our purpose. It's like where we want to go, but it's not a linear straight line there. It's like a graph. It's almost like there's some, there's some ups and downs and you're kind of slowly increasing to that that point of the North star. And he told me something that was really interesting. He goes about every seven years in life, you make a transition in life. Like you kind of grow into a new person. And I don't think we're ever told that we're kind of told, okay, you want to be a doctor when you grow up, you're going to be like this and this and this, and it's, here's the direct path. 
but no one ever goes that path. It's really these ups and downs and you're taken through all the experiences and, but through your experiences, you learn more about yourself and then you can transition to the next, your next spot. And so for me, that last year and a half or so, as I transitioned out of that into a new role, it was really helpful for me to realize this is very normal and not to take for granted everything that that 13 years in that other organization helped me. Like it, it guided me, it, it made me the person I am today. And I look and I'm like, oh, wow, every year built me to be the person I am today to take on the challenges and the leadership and the team. And my, my life is building upon, upon, each, upon itself versus going, okay, I guess that chapter's done and like throw it away, throw it in the fire, it's done. That's no, a building, it's building block for my life to really go to what I'm called to as my North Star of life. Yeah. I, you know, I recently sat down, had coffee with a friend of mine who is actually a former boss of mine. And I, I worked for him uh, for a few years and was at a really high level of leadership in the organization. And, you know, when I left that organization, it was all, um, it, it was good. Um, we, we did a good job, I think, of that transition. But there was always this little something that was like, ah, I hope that, I hope that we're good personally, right? Like, mm. I hope the relationship is good. And he asked me a question that I just really appreciated. He he said, well, as you look back on the time that we were together in that organization, how do you feel about it? Like, what what comes to mind? And, and I said, man, honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is that I'm thankful, right? Mm. Like, I'm thankful for the time that I had there, for the people that I got to interact with, for the things that I learned, the experience that I got because it is what launched me into the phase that I'm in now. Exactly. Uh, and so I just, I resonate really strongly with what you're saying, because it would be easy to look backwards, especially when a transition is rocky or not planned or whatever it is, and just be bitter and and hurt and not to minimize any of that because that stuff's real. But at the same time, I think you can hold um, some thankfulness and gratitude for the places that you've been and the lessons that you've learned along the way that got you to where you are, just like what you're saying. And that bitterness or that hurt or the negative, I think whenever you leave something, you have a, you have a decision to make it positive or negative. Mm-hmm. If you hold on to that negative, it's going to hold you back. Mm-hmm. It's going to, you're going to dwell on that. And that's going to versus going, how can I, what did I learn? What did this use? I heard a saying, uh, that God doesn't waste anything. There's nothing ever wasted in your life, that it's always mm-hmm. built for something, even the hard stuff. I mean, we were talking about this, that offline, how our lives have had some hard stuff happen recently. And yet those hard things really make us and shape us and grow us and develop us. And, and we just got to be thankful for all the situations we're in. And no one's, no one person is the same. And I think, I think a lot of our leadership and our team leading is there's some like, natural abilities that we are given kind of our personality traits, who we are like that drives our leadership. But then also what drives our leadership is our past and our background mm-hmm. and being okay with going, okay, what is that? What did I develop in? What did I grow in? And how can I use that now to be a better leader, to be a better team member, to take my organization to the next level? Like all those things are great. Yeah. Well, man, uh, this has been super good stuff and good content. As you think about just yourself, leadership, the teams you've been a part of, the new ventures and pioneering you know, efforts you've been a part of. Is there anything else um, that you can think of that, that would be good to share right now? The more you can discover who you are 
and your strengths, the better you're going to be as a leader, a team member, and just a person in our society. And it can really be a struggle at times to accept what you're not good at Mm -hmm. and go, well, why am I not that person? Because typically we always uplift the person that we want to be like, but honestly, we're probably never going to be like, because that's not Mm -hmm. who we are. And so I would just say is you continue to develop yourself, like being okay with who you are and really leaning into your giftings and leaning into that unique ability is huge. And then don't be afraid to go and try something new to go experiment with something new. I think I talked about getting out of the entrepreneur stage, but I do think one of the best things about the entrepreneuring stage of any organization is do lots of experiments. Uh, I had a mentor, really good friend of mine, Eric Swanson. Uh, He leads, he's really high up in a startup in Boulder. And he was just telling me like, Jason, don't do it like everybody else has done it. Go try and experiment. So have the vision of, you know, our vision was, Ryan, we we're going to go, we're going to go reach and develop and connect with thousands of young adults in Denver. But like I said, I didn't really know the strategy. And I think too many people plot out the strategy way too early when the strategy needs to be pretty fluid and flex. And that's where you try lots of experiments. And uh, what I love is that idea of the minimum viable product. What's the, what's the product we're trying to create? And what is the minimum thing we have to do to create a viable product of that? Mm-hmm. And so as you do these experiments, continually figuring out what is our minimum viable product that we can launch out and then just trying, trying, trying. And then once you find what works though, that's where the magic of entrepreneurship happens is you find what works. Now you have to switch. You have to build a team and you have to bring people around you to scale, make it better and to actually have the the market share that you want. So I would just encourage everyone figure out what you're good at. I think that's Ryan, why I really appreciate what you're doing. And then two is experiment a lot. Be try, try lots of things, take lots of risk. But then when you find what works, figure out how to keep reproducing that over and over and over again. Yeah. So good, man. Well, tell us a little bit more about the Brook, what you guys are up to, um, how people can connect with you and get involved with what you're doing there. Yeah. So it's funny. We, I never thought we'd be a social media platform. We, I actually, when we started the Brook, this goes back to strategy. I didn't think we'd have any social media. I'm like, eh, we're trying to connect with people. Let's just go like network grassroots. Then COVID hit and we're like, okay, we're not going to meet anybody be a dinner table because everything's shut down in Denver. And so we started an online platform on Instagram. Uh, you can follow us at, at the Brook Denver. And it's basically helpful things for young adults. How to have, our, kind of our, our motto is how to have a great life, great relationship, and how to investigate God. And so we really believe that God should be brought into the normal things of life. So many times we we put God in this mold of We have to go to this church building or do these certain religious duties to know God, but we really believe God's kind of implemented in every area of life. And that's how we best can investigate and know him. And so we really love helping people do that. And Mm -hmm. you can, uh, so we do a ton of stuff on our Instagram. We have a, our YouTube channel, uh, Brooke Denver, and we do like online zoom meetup groups. And so we're, we have about a hundred people right now throughout uh, honestly, around the world, we have some somebody in South Korea. We got somebody. Wow. We got people in different places join our Zoom groups. We got a, a kind of a community started in San Francisco of four or five people of Kansas City, and these are all young adults. Typically, they're single, but we have married couples 
a part as well, but a lot of singles. And really we want to help people just network and connect in relationships. Our city, Denver, got is uh what was it? It's the third loneliest city in the US. I think it's hmm. 52% of people said they're lonely and COVID wow. has just skyrocketed that because we have so many people that aren't from here. Everybody moves here. And so hmm. people don't have friends. And so We've created this platform and this organization so that people can really just network and be friends with people and find a community. And we do events in person, but then we do a lot online through Zoom and through just uh, digital content. So check out our website, thebrookdenver.com. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, subscribe to it, or shoot me an email if you know anybody in the Denver area that would Love to be connected with a group like that. It's jason at thebrookdenver.com. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes for people to click on, make it easy for for everybody. But man, Jason, thanks so much for uh, being on today and let me ask you a bunch of questions. I appreciate um, the insights and just the relationship that we've had over the years, the the things that I have learned from you uh, about leadership and life and family and everything. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate you being on. Yeah, Ryan, thanks so much. Same here, man. You're you're a good dude. Love you. Love your family. Love what you're doing. So thankful for you. Thanks for listening today to the Invincible Teams podcast. We'd like to challenge you now to go share this episode with a team leader or business owner you know that might like it. And just like every podcast, we appreciate all the subscribes, likes, shares, reviews, and five-star ratings you can give us. And like we always say, we believe that every team should reach their potential and that if we get intentional, our teams can become invincible. See you next time.